News Network. When you can stand with a clear mind while all around you are losing theirs, you must be listening to TNN, the Truth News Network. And your better man is Dan Newman. Obviously, that's exactly what you're doing. You're listening to TNN Live. Good morning, everybody. Welcome to the show. Welcome to Tuesday, and we're so glad you joined us today. We have much, 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 much in store for you today. Oh, my goodness. I know. I know it's horrible down at our southern border. But guess what? It is horrible. But there's so much more going on around us. I think, honestly, and I'm not a conspiracy theorist, I think there are purposeful distractions that are being given to the American people to keep our thoughts and eyes and attention off of even more egregious things. It's kind of like, you know, we've, we've told you the story here often when there's a politician involved in any issue and they're screaming and hollering and waving one hand in your face, look here, look here, look what's going on here. Always forget about looking at what they're waving around in front of your eyes and try to find out what they have going on behind their backs. We live in that world right now. Never before more obvious than today. So what are we going to get into? One of the things that I don't think any of us really understand the importance of is what goes on in our Senate Judiciary Committee. That's where every judge that is nominated to serve in any court, appeals court, regular district court, if it's a federal court, every president, when elected, has the right and the obligation and the job to fill those spots. And so President Biden, his staff got together and there were a bunch of open positions, judgeships. And so the president nominated a bunch of people. When they are nominated, they must go before the Senate Judiciary Committee for confirmation. And in those hearings, obviously those folks, and they're all judges at some point, in some type of court, they're being questioned in detail to find out just how suited they are for those spots. I'm going to let you listen in on one of the most unbelievable confirmation hearings for a judge I've ever seen in my life. Ted Cruz brings some facts out about one of the nominees of the Biden administration. Now, it's really bad, but what's worse is the fact that this president would nominate the person that was nominated for that that position, any federal judgeship. That's just one thing going on. FBI Director Christopher Wray, he gets grilled. And then there's our favorite politician, who's really, at least what he tells us, is not a politician. He's an appointed expert at immigration law. That would be Homeland Security Secretary Alejandro Mayorkas. And so we just dig right in this morning and get started. And we're going to go to the southern border. We're going to talk about some things that are happening down there that maybe we haven't even known about. After all, Title 42, it just expired just days ago. And that changes everything. So buckle up. 
it's not going to be but a two-hour ride, and we're going to make it as soft as possible. We'll even pass out sodas and water. <laughs> Get ready. TNN Live and it's Tuesday.
I've been searching for so long, looking for facts, looking for truth, and you found them today. You'll find them here every day. Articles we publish, we write, we originate some of our stories. Sometimes we have a bevy of wonderful contributing writers. There's a good story there every day. Truthnewsnet.org. You need to check it out. Truthnewsnet.org. And then, of course, there's TNN Live, and that's where we are together right now, today. I want to start talking about something that I think is one of the coolest things to happen in the U.S. in quite some time. And it's a movie, a movie of all things. It's the most conservative movie of the past year. And it's likely one you've never even heard of. Living, living. It's directed by Oliver Hermanus. It's a simple film. But one that systematically breaks down everything that those on the left want you to believe about the meaning of life. Isn't that an interesting perspective? (laughs) Perspective for uh, things to talk about. We're going to get into um, what is so different and what is so important about the movie. Living. I'm just looking here. I'll tell you what I'm going to do. I think, I think I'm going to skip forward. I think I want to talk about something that's just as important. But we'll circle back after a while and get into the movie Living. So with just two words, just two words, the top uniformed officer in the Customs and Border Protection Agency sent shockwaves across official Washington two months ago. What was such a big deal, a big question? He was asked whether his agency has operational control of our southern border. Two words, no, sir. That came from Border Patrol Chief Raul Ortiz, and he was speaking to Congress, and it was a shocking admission that exposed just how badly border security has deteriorated under President Biden. At the time, illegal crossings at the border in March were averaging about 5,000 a day, far more than the historical average of 2,000 daily at the end of the Trump administration. Now, I I must be honest, 2,000 a day is still a huge number. But 5,000, I don't even want to talk to you about what it has exploded to. I'll give you that number in just a second. By last week, those crossings, had jumped to 10,000 a day as that pandemic-related Title 42 order allowing migrants to be turned away expired last Thursday night at midnight. Border officials say illegal crossings are soon going to shoot up to 11,000 to 16,000 every day. With each of these increases under Biden, more Border Patrol agents are being torn from their security roles. And you know what they're doing? They're moving them to process migrants and then just release them into the country. When the total gets up to 16,000, only 10% of available border agents will be on patrol. And guess who's going to capitalize on that? The drug cartels. They're going to have full control of our southern border. That's according to Brandon Judd, 
a Border Patrol agent, and the president of the National Border Patrol Council, the union that represents Border Patrol agents. Judge says the crisis point is going to show up in a few weeks when media attention to the end of Title 42 just kind of slows down a bit and the cartels take full advantage. As the talk starts to die down, as you start to see the media go away from the border, that's when we're going to see the numbers start to shoot right back up, Judge said. He was talking to reporters on Friday. So we can expect post-Title 42, we can expect that our numbers are going to go up anywhere between thirteen to 16,000 apprehensions per day. Now keep in mind, how many are not apprehended that are sneaking across in between those Border Patrol towers where they can actually look and see and watch what's going on and who's coming across. Many people say it's at least the same amount, maybe even double the amount that are being apprehended. Agent Judd provided some unprecedented detail on how border security patrols decrease as illegal migrants go up. Here's what he said. When we're apprehending 3,000 people, we're pulling resources out of the field. We don't have as many Border Patrol agents patrolling the border. When we're apprehending 5,000 people a day now, we only have 50% of our agents patrolling the border. When we hit 10,000 apprehensions a day, that means we're only deploying 30% of our Border Patrol agents to actually patrol the border, which is what they're supposed to do 24-7. When that happens, he said, the cartels are able to gain ground on the vast majority of the border as they start controlling the vast majority of our border. Once those numbers go up to 13 to 16,000, we're only going to have 10% of our Border Patrol agents and our ability to actively patrol the border. And the cartels will own every inch of it. Think about that for a second. Just think for a second, just for a moment, what are these cartels doing? First of all, they control their side of the border 100%. The Mexican police, they're scared to death of the cartels. They're threatened with their lives, as are those patrol agents on the other side that work for the government. They're family members. They let the cartels do anything they want to do. Besides that, the cartels are so corrupt. They have every politician, pretty much every person in law enforcement at a, at a, uh, uh, a management level in their pockets. Judd and other officials said there's been a substantial rise in deadly fentanyl, human trafficking, crime, sex trafficking, on and on and on and on in the U.S. But Americans aren't prepared for how bad it's going to get in the next few months. Former Representative Myra Flores, a Republican from Texas, said it's going to get really, really bad. Her husband serves in the Border Patrol. I'm worried about our country, she said. I'm worried about the innocent children as well that are being brought to the United States illegally, then abandoned in the middle of nowhere. Our Border Patrol agents are exhausted. They can't apprehend everyone coming in. So you have cartels taking advantage of our weak immigration policies. We have terrorists taking advantage of our weak policies. 
Steve Baker that normally joins us on Tuesday in our second hour. Steve Baker, photo investigative journalist. He's one of the the guys that put together a big chunk of those 43,000 hours of January 6th video that Speaker McCarthy turned over exclusively at first to Tucker Carlson at Fox News. And then all of a sudden, after only two nights where Tucker was exposing some of the negative stuff that had been portrayed and told to us all by people in the Biden administration, when we saw it happen in real time, it wasn't anything like they said. All of a sudden, Tucker just had to quit talking about it. We still don't know why. At any rate, Speaker McCarthy, he passed the mantle down to a handful of photojournalists and news reporters to go through those 43,000 hours of J6 video. Steve Baker, our Steve Baker, is one of those. He won't be with us today. Hopefully, we're going to be able to pull him away from that video editing booth that he's in in the U.S. Capitol to give us an update. But Steve Baker, Steve Baker participated at the southern border, actually just north of the southern border in Houston, Texas. And it was all about kids that had been smuggled across the border by the cartels. And those kids were being sold, literally sold in Houston and sold for any number of things. Many of them were shipped overseas. Many were put into prostitution in Houston itself. Our kids. And oh, by the way, besides that, the Biden administration, you know, many of those kids were sent across the nation They were supposedly being welcomed into people's homes that wanted children. They, of course, you know, they kept tabs on all those, did the Biden administration. They knew everything going on. They knew the adults with which those children were placed. They knew all that, right? Wrong. 85,000, 85,000 of those kids are unaccounted for now. Nobody knows where they are. Democrat El Paso, Texas, Mayor Oscar Leeser. He told us that there is no end game. There is no good end in sight. He warned after declaring an emergency in his border city that includes blocking access to streets if it's necessary. We've already closed the streets, he said. We'll continue to close streets as needed to be Because one of the things that's really important to us that we do protect asylum seekers, but also make sure that our community stays protected. The Biden administration is doubling down on its policies, having allowed Title 42 expire on Friday morning and on Saturday announcing it's going to appeal the federal judge's order blocking it from releasing illegal aliens into the country. I have more about that in subsequent events that have come about regarding that appeal to a federal judge. The administration has sent mixed signals pretty much to everybody, including everybody on the planet except the drug cartels. They know exactly what's going on, and they're just cashing in. If you're just one person, one person from, say, any one of the Central American countries, uh, even places like China, yes, We're having thousands of these illegals show up at our southern border from China. 
Now, who are they? I mean, come on now, who are they really? I guarantee you, many if not all of those Chinese people that are coming to our southern border, they're not trying to escape. They're agents of the communist Chinese government. That's exactly what's going on. Mixed signals? <laughs> I think our administration's sending more than mixed signals. They're not mixed at all. Messages to the world. Doesn't matter who you are. Doesn't matter what kind of evil you've committed where you are. It doesn't matter how many times you've been in the United States, committed evil here, and been kicked out. We want you back. Just come on in. Secretary of State Antony Blinken raised concern that just to the south in Mexico, cartels are gaining control of certain areas. Wake up, Mr. Blinken. His claim drew a sharper rebuke from Mexican President Andres Manuel Lopez Obrador, who called that assertion false. Mexican president said there's no place in the country that does not have the presence of authorities. Yeah, they may be sitting there looking, but they're not doing anything because the cartel members have guns to these Mexican authorities' heads. The National Consortium for the Study of Terrorism and Responses to Terrorism, which is a think tank very well respected at the University of Maryland, that's aligned with the Department of Homeland Security. That's not a good thing. <laughs> Homeland Security, what a joke. They recently issued a warning, complete with a map, showing how the expansion of cartels poses really bad risk for the United States and Mexico. And, of course, that's setting aside Mexican president's assurances that everything's okay. Transnational criminal organizations, we call them TCOs, and related actors pose big-time threats to homeland security. Mexico and the Northern Triangle, that is comprised of Guatemala, Honduras, and El Salvador, serve as operational centers and conduits by air, land, and sea for these TCOs, illicit goods and activities reaching our border. In recent years, TCOs have increasingly embraced brand new violent practices and some advanced strategies to circumvent Homeland Security. Crimes include things like, you know, benign things, murder, trafficking, smuggling of drugs, weapons, humans, as well as corruption, financial crimes, solicitous procurement of materials and technology, the growth in criminal density and geographical expansion across Mexico and the Northern Triangle produce great instability in the region along the United States' southern border. In other words, we don't have any control of it anymore. Alejandro Mayorkas, Homeland Security Secretary, he doesn't have a clue, but he preaches a message every time he gets in front of a television camera with a microphone about how great a job he's been doing for all these years when he had one job and one job only. Stop illegal aliens from coming into our nation illegally. Wow, that's a deep thing to think about, isn't it? You got one job and you can't do it or you won't do it, which is, in my opinion, worse. When you look at what they're going to bring across, the fentanyl, 
the criminal aliens, the aliens from special interest countries. That's why border security is so important to the United States. We keep so much of that out. But when we can't properly patrol the border, we can't do it. And the American people suffer for it. The American people suffer for it. Wow. There's something new in the wind that came out overnight. And it has nothing to do with border security. In a way, indirectly it does. And it came from our president, Joe Biden, giving a speech. You're not going to believe what he said. You're not going to believe what he did. Wait a minute. Yeah, you probably will because he's Joe Biden. Enough said, right? I'm going to give you the dirty skinny there. And then I'm going to want you, I want I want you to go to the US Senate with me to the Senate Judiciary Committee hearing regarding confirmation of judges. They did a bunch last week had confirmation hearings, but there's one in particular I want you to listen to. All of that and a whole lot more ahead, so just sit tight. Back after this. 35 years after the original movie, Fox is bringing you back to where it all began. Nobody was baby in the corner. This is the real Dirty Dance. Yeah. Eight celebrities compete to become the real Baby and Johnny. Where my Johnny is? Some will rise. Some will fall. All will have the time of their life. The Real Dirty Dancing four-week event starts Tuesday at 9 on Fox 5. Does it matter to you that all our chefs are well-trained? Or that our kitchens are both SLSI and GMP certified? That we freshly bake goodies throughout the day? Well, it matters to us to know that your family will enjoy every bite. At Kiel's, we're fresh because of what we do. But more than that, we're fresh because of you. Starbucks Via Instant is made with the same 100% Arabica beans served at Starbucks. So it's the only instant with the rich, delicious taste of the Starbucks coffees you love and takes only seconds to make. Starbucks Via Instant, the only instant coffee of its kind. Available in black flavored lattes and iced coffee. I pass through the trees. I leave behind the mountains. I weave in the air. I fly over the birds. And I wish when I complete my journey, I leave behind a better world. Honda Civic Hybrid, India's first hybrid car with IV Tech engine, leave behind a better world. While some compromise to be nice, others aggressively hold to the truth. Guess which one we are? TNN, the Truth News Network. I bet you figured that out for yourself. We're the ones that uh, we hold to the truth. Sometimes that's really hard to do. You know why? 
not that not that we would consider not telling you the truth, but there becomes circumstances in our lives that are so ugly, so convoluted, so evil that I don't even like to talk about them. But we must, we must keep you educated and make sure that you know exactly what's going on that is directly proportionate and even indirectly proportionate to your life. We all have to make decisions based upon things in our lives that impact us. And when you start piling on the layers of people that these decisions are important to, people like those who work with us, those who work for us, not to mention our spouses and our kids, extended family members, we're in a tough spot right now, my friends. We really are. We've just got to find a way to take hold of the circumstances in our life and not let not let the circumstances control us making our decisions and our choices. Just making sure that we base all of those on facts. That means the decisions we make have got a much better chance of being good just because they're factual, even though sometimes we have to base them on some really ugly facts. I know, I know. Life gets pretty tough sometime, and I think we're at one spot in our nation's history that it really proves we're in one of the worst spots in U.S. history. In keeping with that, our president, over the weekend, he decided to go, well, he was invited to go, and he accepted the invitation to Howard University. Howard University, a predominantly African-American university. And he went to give a commencement address. And boy, did he commence with some nastiness. Critics accused Biden of using that opportunity, speaking to those African-American people, to inflame racial tension in the United States. Now, please understand this. That's nothing new for President Biden. You can forget about all those promises he made. Well, the three campaign stops that he made that were public. Maybe there was a fourth one, I don't know. But remember him saying to us all, I don't want to be the president of Democrat Americans. I don't want to be the president of Republican Americans. I want to be the president of all Americans. Doesn't that sound like you'd want to be inclusive? You'd want to pull everybody with differing ideals, pull everybody together because of the commonality we all share, which is the United States of America, our home, most of us, our birthplace, and decades and decades for most of us of Americanism, learning to know and how to protect and live in successfully the greatest nation in world history. Biden didn't shine that up very well over the weekend. He addressed the graduates from this historical black college at Washington, D.C.'s Capital One Arena, speaking to those graduates about the threats that they face. And you know what he said they face it from? The division among their own country. Go figure. And it starts at the top, but he didn't tell them that. 
he provided a line on white supremacy being the main threat to the United States of America, including, therefore, the graduates as they go forward with their lives after school. So after he hammered home the dangers of white supremacy, he assured his audience he wasn't just saying that because he was at a black school. And then, of course, he he said, I have a lot of black friends. I know a lot of black people. They like me. No, he didn't say that, but that's the inference he gave. Why, oh, why do people from Biden's generation, which is one generation older than mine, why do they feel like every time they're in a crowd of African-American people, they've got to pander, they've got to try to reinforce just how non-racist they are. Oh, oh, man, I love black people. You know, anytime you hear someone do that, it's a telltale sign. What they're saying is a lie. And let me just take it one layer deeper. Do you know that racism is inevitable in every human being and has been since Adam and Eve? It's a natural emotional occurrence that happens. People look at people that are different from them, especially when it's a different race. And I'm not saying they hate the other people, but there is a seed of treating people differently because of skin color. What's wonderful is when people find a way to work through that, put it to bed, get rid of it, and just be fellow Americans. It would have been a lot better for the nation, including those graduates sitting there, if Joe Biden gave them unity messaging, talking about, yeah, it's bad out there, but it's bad for everybody, instead of picking one little slice of Americana. And when I say a really little slice, I'm talking about white supremacy. It is there. It's there. How prevalent is it? How many white supremacists, real white supremacists are there in the nation? I grew up in the South. I'm 69 years old. Let me just say this. I don't know a single white supremacist. But then let me give you another conundrum. And I may get in trouble for saying this. I know more than a handful of people that are activists, Black Lives Matter, Now, what does that mean, Dan? It means just what I said. I don't know any white supremacists. There may be somebody that I know, but I don't know they're white supremacists. That could be true, and it wouldn't shock me. But I know quite a few Black Lives Matter activists. That's just speaking facts. So at the beginning of his statement when he was speaking, Biden talked about our battle with racism from the time of its inception, saying, we know American history's not always been a fairy tale. From the start, it's been a consistent push and pull for more than 240 years between the best of us, the American ideal that we're all created equal, and the worst of us, a harsh reality that racism has long torn us apart. It's a battle that's never really over, he said, adding, But on the best days, enough of us have the guts and hearts to stand up for the best in us, 
to choose love over hate, unity over disunity, progress over retreat. Then he zeroed in on white supremacy, and here's how he did it. He said this, to stand against the poison of white supremacy as I did in my inaugural address. He then called it the most dangerous terrorist threat to our homeland. And of course, on cue, the audience erupted in applause. Pointing his finger, he added, and I'm not just saying this because I'm at black HBCU. I say this wherever I go. And the audience laughed. You know why they laughed. They can't believe a white guy, an old white guy, would get up and actually say that to a bunch of black people, especially young black people. Conservatives weren't laughing on Twitter, though, but were very disturbed by what they viewed as quintessential Biden divisiveness. Let me give you a couple of examples. RNC Research tweeted, Biden at Howard University, the most dangerous terror in our homeland, white supremacy. And I'm not saying this because I'm at a black HBCU. Jim Miltmore, the Democrat Party spent most of the 19th century and much of the 20th century using overt racism to win elections. They're doing it again in the 21st century. The racism just looks a lot different than the 19th century century version. Foundation for Economic Education managing editor, a guy named John Miltmore, tweeted what you just heard about the 19th century, 20th century Democrat Party stoking racism everywhere they go. Elijah Schaffer wrote, Biden just told a bunch of black people that white supremacy is the greatest threat in America. RNC researchers Jake Schneider shared the clip and wrote, Divider-in-Chief Joe Biden at Howard University says the most dangerous terrorist threat to our homeland is white supremacy. Outkick.com, Clay's Tra- uh, Clay Travick, uh, Travis, I like, I like Clay a lot. He found the statement completely ridiculous, and he tweeted, I mean, this is completely bonkers. Did anyone talk like this in the 80s, 90s, 2000s, or even in the 2010s? Of course not. Yet suddenly, white supremacy is the biggest threat in America? I don't even think that. Julie Kelly. No, you're saying it because you're a pathological liar propped up by the media to help fuel dangerous racial division. Journalist Julie Kelly replied, And New York Post journalist Miranda Devine simply tweeted pure evil in response to Biden's line. Anytime somebody tries to convince you, like Joe Biden did in this commencement speech, tries to make you think, oh, this guy, he looks like a racist. Sometimes he talks like a racist. Who will ever forget in his campaign talking about when he was a lifeguard at a predominantly African-American public swimming pool. Obviously, this was when he was much younger, and he launched into this story, and it just kept getting more sinister and evil and spooky and scary as the story went on. He talked about sitting on the lifeguard stand, wearing his swimsuit as a lifeguard, and during the summer being out in the sun, the hair on his leg 
both of his legs would bleach out white and that the little black kids would come over and they would reach up and rub the hair on his leg. That's the president, now president of the United States. Did he have to say black kids? Why didn't he just say kids? Think about that in wokeism world right now. He didn't just say children. He said, quote, little black kids. We can't even call somebody him, her, boy, girl, man, woman. We can't even do that anymore. And the president of the United States is talking about kids and just kind of setting them up out there to be looked at as different, less than Joe Biden was. Just because Joe Biden was white, he had to point out the fact that they were little black kids. That's the epitome of racism. And I'm from the South, and I I know racism just because I'm from the South. And oh, by the way, I know a lot of black people. I have a lot of black friends. (laughs) Well, wait a minute, Dan. I know you. You're bald. You wear a beard. You're big, and you've got an earring. You've got to be a white supremacist. That's the world we find ourselves living in now. Nothing's about substance. It's just about symbolism. You will never be successful at anything other than being a racist if that's the mindset that you adopt. Think that through. I want to move right along. I told you about Ted Cruz. I think it was Friday in a uh, Senate Judiciary Committee hearing, one nominee for a post, I believe it was in eastern Washington, came before the committee. And when they do that, each of the senators on either side, they have so many minutes if they want to take them and question these nominees, these appointees, to find out if they really are qualified to serve in those posts that the Biden administration, the president, nominated them to serve in. I could go into a lot about what you're going to hear, but instead of me explaining up front, I want you to listen to Ted Cruz, and I want you to listen to the factual information that he brings out about one person, just one nominee, that wants to serve as a federal judge. Thank you, Mr. Chairman. Uh, I'm glad to welcome our colleague, Senator Feinstein, back to this committee but I will say what's gonna happen next, I think is gonna be quite unfortunate for the American people. Because what we're about to see this committee do is vote on several nominees who are so extreme, who are so unqualified, that they could, could not have a prayer of getting even a single Republican vote on this committee. And as everyone knows, Senator Graham votes for most of Biden's nominees. It is unusual that Senator Graham does not give a Republican vote to a Biden nominee. But there's a small subset of these nominees that are so beyond the pale that they have no prayer of getting a Republican nominee. And frankly, if my Democrat colleagues valued the responsibility of the Senate's advice and consent, My Democrat colleagues would tell the White House these nominees are unacceptable. This first nominee, Charnel Beckelgren, 
is so amazingly unqualified. She may well have the title for the least qualified nominee I've seen in 11 years serving on this committee. When Senator Kennedy asked her what Article 5 of the Constitution was, she had no idea. When Senator Kennedy asked her what Article 2 of the Constitution was, she said, I don't know. Mind you, Article 2 is the provision of the Constitution that creates the president and the executive branch of the government. Any first-year law student that didn't know what Article 2 of the Constitution was would flunk con law. This is not some obscure question about some Latin phrase no one should know. This is literally the basic architecture of our Constitution. By the way, Joe Biden has nominated her to be an Article 3 judge. Article 3 is right after Article 2. It creates the federal judiciary. I assume she doesn't know what that is either. I would note that the chairman in defending her suggested, well, gosh, there may be some members of our committee that don't know what Article 2 is. I feel confident that's not true, but if there is on either side of the aisle, you should stand up and resign the committee right now. To give you a sense of how unqualified this nominee is, she listed in her judiciary questionnaire her top 10 litigated cases. I just want you to pause and read this for a second. Her top 10, she did a driver's license revocation. She did a second driver's license revocation. She did an unemployment benefits appeal. She did another unemployment benefits case. She did another unemployment benefit case. And her sixth case was an unemployment benefits case where on the opposing side was a pro se litigant. In other words, this poor fellow didn't have a lawyer. And you know what? The pro se litigant beat her. She lost to a pro se litigant. What's her seventh most consequential case? I'm sorry, there isn't one. There's not an eighth, there's not a ninth, there's not a tenth. She's argued over a couple of driver's licenses. And the Biden White House says, you should be a federal judge, an Article Three judge, not that you have any idea what in the hell that is. In this administration, if you are a left-wing radical, it doesn't matter if you're competent. In Washington state, is there not a single competent lawyer who is competent to be a judge? And by the way, for all the Democrats, since Joe Biden has become president, every one of you has rubber stamped every single nominee. Is there not a one of you that is willing to say enough is enough? When Donald Trump was president on the Republican side, we confirmed some fantastic judges But there were several we sent back that we said, no, you missed it on this one. There's not even one Democrat willing to say enough is enough. And by the way, she's not the only one. Another one being considered, a nominee, Cato Cruz. Thankfully not spelled C-R-U-Z, spelled C-R-E-W-S. When asked about Brady versus Maryland, one of the foundational criminal law classes, again, First-year criminal law, you learn about Brady. She said, I'm sorry, I don't know what Brady is. That'll be a problem if she's ever presiding over a criminal case. There are a number of members of this committee who have tried criminal cases. Do you know what Brady is? Of course you do. Because if you're remotely competent, you know what it is, not this judge. Look, sadly, the standard... 
for nominees now seems to be licensed attorneys in Washington. Have you ever handled a criminal case? You ever tried a jury trial? Have you ever stepped foot in federal court? Well, then please contact Senate Democrats because you too can be a federal judge. I want to end with one more nominee that we're getting ready to ram through on party line votes. That is Judge Marion Gaston, nominated for a seat in San Diego. Judge Gaston, look, we've seen some radicals. We had a nominee earlier that this committee rubber stamped who said he woke up every morning motivated by his hatred for conservatives. Senate Democrats said, sounds like a judge to me. But let's see just how moonbat crazy we're willing to put on the bench. Here's a quote from Judge Gaston. Children are not safer because registered sex offenders are prohibited from residing near schools, parks, daycare centers, and other places where children tend to gather. And in fact, Judge Gaston continued. Let's go to the next one. Judge Gaston continued... The conclusions and recommendations are that, difficult as it might be, so at least Judge Castone recognizes this is pretty wingnut, the conclusion, laws that regulate where sex offenders may not live should be repealed or substantially modified in the interest of public safety. So I want you to understand the Joe Biden White House is saying a radical who wants sex offenders, who wants pedophiles to be able to live next door to daycares. That's who should be a federal judge. Look, some of y'all here represent blue states. Many of y'all represent blue states. I guarantee you in any one of your states. You go to Vermont, ask the people of Vermont, hey, what do you think about having a pedophile live next door to an elementary school, to a kindergarten, to a daycare? They'd look at you and say, are you out of your mind? That's who the Biden White House has given you. Now, I genuinely don't understand why Senate Democrats on this committee don't have enough respect for the constitutional role of the Senate to exercise some check and balance on the White House. I don't think they'll make you hand in your card-carrying Democrat cards to say, gosh darn it, we ought to have a judge who knows what the heck he's doing. John Kennedy has left bloody carcasses in this hearing from Trump nominees who didn't have sufficient experience to do the job. I asked my colleagues... If you vote for these nominees, you're going to have to defend them to your constituents. You're going to have to explain why, why a lawyer who handled a couple of driver's license revocations and doesn't know what Article 2 of the Constitution is should be a federal judge in charge of your life, your rights, and the law. And you're going to have to explain why you think it's a great idea that sex offenders and pedophiles should live next door to daycare centers. I think that's nuts. And I think most of our constituents do, too. And I tend to agree with Senator Ted Cruz. Did you really pick up on what he was saying about 
those two nominees for very important judgeships, federal judgeships, the highest. There's nobody, nobody, no court, any higher than these federal judgeships. Those two people have been nominated by Joe Biden to feel other than the United States Supreme Court. What does this tell you? Look at the nominees. You heard what they talked about. That one judge wants a federal judgeship and had hardly anything to give as an example of the work she'd done on the court. These positions are supposed to go to the absolute most qualified Americans that are, that are out there that could possibly serve in these positions. So why would Biden appoint them? I can tell you why he would appoint them. He didn't have a clue about who they were. Somebody that works for him handed him a list and said, do you want to nominate these people? And he said, well, what do you think? And, of course, his response would be based upon what they said, not on what the facts were, the qualifications were, or any issues that these nominees may have had. And it takes senators. And, by the way, Democrats on the Judiciary Committee, any nominee that comes across from the Biden administration they just green light them right on through. They don't care. You know why? They're going to be political plants for the Democrat Party on every issue that may come before those courts. You know what forum shopping is? You've heard that term? When you have a case in federal court, let's say you have some case going on in a district court, and the judge makes a decision that's exactly opposite of what you want to happen for your client or clients. So you want to appeal it, but you want to go to a court that's going to be friendly to you. And instead of having to go to an appeals court that should be geographically located, in fact, appeals courts are all assigned to certain states, but sometimes you can slip around them a bit. That's called forum shopping. They'll go find, Democrats will go find the most liberal appeals judge that they can find, and they go there to get the appeals heard. It's not about the law any longer. It's about one thing and one thing only, politics. All that matters is if you turn over every rock, you spend every dime, you bring in every person that you possibly can that can help you and your client get the verdict, get the rendering, get the judgment that you want, rather than just relying on that age-old constitutional thing. Equal justice under the law, not under opinions. Everybody's got opinions on everything. That's okay, but keep them to yourself, not in courts. Real truth, real news. TNN, the Truth News Network. Hi, Tom Bodette, quote, checking in on my smartphone. Everyone's checking in nowadays at airports, restaurants, appointments with certain medical specialists. Seriously, people, TMI. Anyway, thanks to the Motel 6 mobile app, you can book a clean, comfortable room at Motel 6 on your smartphone and get a great rate. Then when you get to Motel 6, you can check in after you check in. Your friends will be totes jealous. I'm Tom Bodette for Motel 6, and we'll leave the light on for you. Do you mind 
I was in a good place. Then the world changed. Daily uncertainties became huge struggles. I've missed so much, especially the grandkids. A lot happened to all of us. It's okay to not feel fine. Small things each day go a long way. Make time for you. Take, Take care. care. Me. Create a healthier relationship with your mind. Search Dear Mind for more. Authorized by the Queensland Government. Few things bring as much joy as the delicious taste of Coca-Cola. Like your first time camping or falling in love on a blind date. And now, our new Coke bottles are sip-sized and made from 100% recycled materials. So every bottle can live on to create more memories. That's endlessly refreshing. Coca-Cola. Bottles are made from 100% recycled materials excluding Captain Label. Enjoy the great taste of Coca-Cola in a new sip-sized bottle that's made of 100% recycled materials. Don't miss our iHeartRadio at-home session with Jesse McCartney. Presented by Hellman's. An exclusive and intimate performance. At a time when we're craving live music. Watch Tuesday at 8 p.m. Eastern, 5 Pacific on iHeartRadio's YouTube. Missing that restaurant flavor at home this summer? Hellman's is bringing crave-worthy flavors to you. Serving up new drizzle sauces that you can put on pretty much anything. With flavors like cilantro lime, roasted garlic, and creamy chili honey, you can drizzle, dip, and dress to make home the best restaurant around. Married to the truth. Divorced from the lies. Fighting for the future. TNN, the Truth News Network, truthnewsnet.org. And again, Dan Newman. Unfortunately, even though we're divorced from the lies, we don't have any options. We're going to have to deal with them. And the only way to deal with something is to hit it head on. I know many, many people that cannot stand confrontation. And to be quite honest with you, very, very often, when we're having confrontations of any kind, the very fact that it is a confrontation makes it uncomfortable. We live in a world today when confrontations like, you know, that accountability thing, you know, the accountability for breaking the law, especially across our nation, breaking federal laws, you know, like federal immigration laws, every illegal that steps across our southern border without having a written invitation to do so is breaking a federal immigration law. There are no confrontations there. In fact, they're patting them on the back, giving them money, cell phones, a place to sleep, health care, their kids' education, even giving them food. They're rewarded. There's no accountability there. And unless and until we get to that point, Our nation is going to continue to be torn apart. It's going to crumble. Who knows what the outcome is going to be? But throughout world history, when this happens, and don't you dare think that it hasn't happened before. It has. And it's been the demise of more than one country through world history. If we don't get the ship righted, if we don't start enforcing the law, if you don't have laws, you don't have a nation. How can we trust each other? How can we trust our government? Let me give you an example. We are going to now, after Title 42 ended and our southern borders opened, regardless of what Mayorkas says, our southern border is wide open on his watch, on his command. If we don't get that under control, nobody, no American, in fact, many, if not all, 
of aliens in the United States, people that may have come here and gone through the legal process of immigration and now are even citizens. None of us are going to be able to trust our government. And what happens then? Nobody can trust anybody. Nobody believes uh, believes any legislation. Nobody supports any pending legislation. Nobody believes that those in government have our welfare at heart when they make the decisions that they're supposed to make, like crafting laws. Why the heck do we need a U.S. Congress? Craft more laws? They don't even enforce the laws that they've already passed. We're going to hear story after story like the one I'm about to tell you going forward. Up in Ohio, now that's not a border state, is it? I beg to differ right now, every one of our 50 states is a border state because the Biden administration's been pushing illegals to each of the 50 states, often in the middle of the night on buses and chartered jets, trying to hide from us all what they're doing and suborning illegal criminal actions. A human trafficking bust in Ohio caught 10 men including one illegal alien, a middle school teacher, who were arrested on suspicion of promoting prostitution and other sex charges. The men range in age from 30 to 55 were arrested in North Olmstead by the members of the Northeast Ohio Human Trafficking Tax Task Force. These arrests were part of a one-day sting operation held in conjunction with the North Olmstead Police Department and the Ohio Internet Crimes Against Children Task Force. That's significant because, obviously, this human trafficking had set up a network online. Yesterday was a banner day for the task force, the Ohio Attorney General said. Their commitment to wiping out the scourge of human trafficking is making a difference in the lives of the victims, having a big impact on the region. One of the men taken into custody, a guy named Errol Jackson, age 35 of Lorraine, Ohio, is a registered Tier 3 sex offender, according to the Attorney General's office. He was arrested for promoting prostitution, a fourth-degree felony, and is being held in the Cuyahoga County Jail. Other charges are expected in the case. Seven potential human trafficking victims were identified during this operation and were provided resources for multiple agencies who assisted the task force. They didn't give us the ages, didn't give us the sexes or the places of origin, skin color, or anything about the victims. That's probably a good thing. But just for a second, we talked for a minute about Steve Baker a little bit ago. And I told you about this sting operation in Houston that he was embedded in, I guess, about a year ago. He actually spent several weeks down there going out and finding these kids. And I'm not going to spend a lot of time on it, but I want to tell you the circumstances in which this had been happening and still is. There's one part of downtown Houston. If you know anything about Houston, and there's a part of downtown that's kind of low and there's a river there that floods often, and around the river there's brush and stuff that's grown up. There are buildings underneath, overpasses there, but they're not really being used. These kids, many of them that are sent across the southern border, human trafficked, sex trafficked, 
they're getting away and they're living in the weeds underneath these overpasses. They're scared for their lives. They were brought over by cartel members and they were sold to cartels. And the cartels bring them across and sell them to people. Some of these kids are sent all over the world. Some of those kids, number among those 85,000 kids that the Biden administration sent to various safe places, you know, adults that take care of kids, adoption, all those kind of things, 85,000 of them are lost. Nobody knows where they are. Now, don't you think if Joe Biden was a legitimate believer in the rule of law, and everything that the United States is all about, don't you think he would first make sure those that are the most vulnerable among us, that would be our children, are protected and taken care of? Now, he doesn't even want to talk about what's going on at the southern border. Doesn't want to agree that it is a, uh, a crisis or that it's even a really serious thing. Why would he want to talk about human trafficking and kids being trafficked if he doesn't even want to admit there's a problem down there. And then there's Alejandro Mayorkas, Mr. Deflect. He deflects every question that's ever asked him. He avoids it. He wants to pontificate when he's called before Congress. He doesn't like being asked straight yes or no questions because he doesn't want to give yes or no answers. He's got excuses for everything. Just a brief little audio bite from 60 Minutes. The host on 60 Minutes. That's CBS 60 Minutes. Not a very conservative news outlet. Listen to her trying to get Mayorkas to be realistic about what's happening because of his decisions. First weeks in office, the Biden administration halted deportations for 100 days, stopped all border wall construction, and suspended the Remain in Mexico policy. Critics say it all added up to putting a come in, we're open sign on the door. I don't think more than a million people last year that we removed or expelled would consider the border open. But the messaging, was the messaging wrong there that, you know, we're open? That wasn't our messaging. But that was the but that's message what migrants were getting. Because remember something, that we are not the only source of messages that the migrants receive. Donald Trump said he was going to build a wall. And why was he going to build a wall? You either have a country or you don't. You, a country is a nation state that has a delineated border from another country. So we are not Mexico. There is a, there's an actual border. It's an agreed upon border by both countries, right? And if you cross that border illegally, you have now broken the law and we are allowed to kick you out. Dave Rubin, he made some real common sense there. Every day when we do this show, I'm tempted to just belabor this issue. And many people think I probably harp on it too much. It's like something bad's going on. Yeah, it's everywhere around us. But if we don't talk about it, it's like it's not there. It really is there, people, and it's changing the face of the nation. I can't even imagine if I don't have, if we spent 10 hours together, we couldn't cover all of the negative things that are already happening coming out of Biden's uh, decision to forget about the rule of law and federal immigration law and just input his personal opinion. 
I was talking to somebody on the phone during the night last night, Peter, from the West Coast, and we were talking about how Mayorkas is getting away with this stuff. And I said to Peter, I don't understand why I, and I've seen a lot of committee hearings, subcommittee hearings, where they bring Mayorkas in and they roast him supposedly, like the 60-minute reporter just did. I have never heard anybody in Congress ask Homeland Security Secretary Mayorkas, Mr. Secretary, before the election back in 2020 or subsequently after that, have you ever spoken to President Biden about the specifics of your not enforcing federal immigration laws at the border? He's under oath every time he comes and testifies. There's no way to weasel out of that. You and I both know there is no way Mayorkas would be doing what he's doing if he did not have a green light from the White House. I think he was given the job of Homeland Secretary because he promised the president that he would let every illegal that he possibly could into the nation. Now, why would anybody do that? Why would Mayorkas do it? But more importantly, why would Joe Biden do it? I'd love to hear. If you have a an answer to that question, drop, drop me what uh, the answer is. Shoot me an email, dan at truthnewsnet.org. Dan at truthnewsnet.org. I'd love for somebody to give me an opinion of what it's all about other than the one that I'm going to give you right now that I try to keep away from. And typically what happens when I'm out looking for other answers, I always end up coming back to this because this is the only one that makes any sense. The Democrat Party in America, its membership is dwindling. They are losing party members in droves and have been for years. They're petrified of conservatives and they're horrified of conservatism. Why? True conservatism, which is what this nation was founded on, giving power from government back to the people. When conservatives, when they start thinking about that, and watching someone in the White House that feeds in a positive way conservatism by diminishing the power of the government, giving the people more opportunity to exert their constitutional rights to be governing this nation. I'm not talking about politicians governing the nation. I'm talking about the government of our nation being of the people, by the people, and for the people. That petrifies the Democrat Party. And the reason their Democrat numbers are diminishing, it's because more Americans are awakening and realizing the message, the operating procedures of their party are failing and failing miserably. But when they look across the aisle and they look at conservatives and other Republicans, they see that it works in that setting and Oh, my God, they they watched four years of Donald Trump. He didn't go borrow a bunch of money. He reduced their taxes. He reduced the prices on everything they spend money for. How? 
by giving power to the people. Nobody's asked Mayorkas that. I cannot figure that out. David Dagan McDowell, I'm sure you know if you saw her. You may not recognize the name. She is from Fox News, really Fox Business, and she's very outspoken. I like to see her when she does these little guest spots on some of the, the uh, panels that you see every once in a while on Fox News. She just went absolutely nuts about this one thing. And it has to do with facts. Dagan McDowell. Okay, the reason that I get so angry is because I have sat by and watched the Biden administration and all the cronies around this commander in chaos argue with people about language. And that, again, control language, that's what people with fascist-like tendencies try to do. Uh, control the narrative, say it's a challenge, not a crisis for the last two years. Just listen to a little bit of the word salad that we've encountered. We have tried to limit, worked very hard to limit uh, legal uh, immigration into this country by also by making sure that the border uh, was secure. The situation uh, at the border is a very serious one, a very challenging one, and a very difficult one. Oh, but there's no crisis. No, there's no crisis at our southern border. And you know who's in the tank with them on all this? Mainstream media. Do you know the Washington Post actually, over the weekend, printed a story that said, we have no crisis at the southern border. We have a challenge. But there hasn't been a flood of migrants since the Title 42 expired early Friday morning. There have been some more people come across the border, but it's not anything like people are saying. Washington Post. You know who owns the Washington Post? Jeff Bezos, Mr. Amazon. And his newspaper printed that ball face lie. The numbers are staggering. You're not hearing specific numbers. We didn't hear it through the weekend. You know why? Mainstream media doesn't want to touch them. And Mayorkas and others in the Biden White House, they put the word out to the people that work for them, do not give the media the real numbers of illegals that we're apprehending and how many gotaways there are. And you can bet your bippy they know the numbers. Liberty and justice for all. Do you feel like you're getting justice right now in this regard? Think about those million immigrants that came into the nation legally last year. The million that came into the nation legally the year before. And the million that will be coming into the nation this year. Think about them. They wanted to come too. They Many of them wanted to come for years, but they didn't come. You know why? They're not lawbreakers. They want to do the right thing. They want to come be a part of the greatest nation on earth. And they know that if what's happening now continues and even escalates, that what they have always wanted to come here for will be gone. They don't want that to happen. They don't want to be a part of that. So they go through the process and do it the right way. They do it the legal way, the constitutional way. God bless those people. 
And on the other side, you've got Alejandro Mayorkas. I don't know if we'll have time during the show today, but he came out and actually blamed Congress. The problem at our southern border is because Congress won't fix immigration laws. Now, he's a lawyer. He is a legal immigrant himself. Now, wait a minute. He didn't just swim over from his native Cuba? He didn't just sneak in? No, he did it the right way. But, of course, what he wants to do is make it so that anybody that comes in, forget about doing it the right way. That takes too long. That takes a year or two. And you got to go through a process. you got to learn to speak a little English. You've got to learn a little bit of American history. you got to understand things. you got to step before an immigration judge and ask, answer a few questions, then raise your right hand and be sworn in as a citizen of the United States. So consider that, and then consider the majority of the people that are today coming across our southern border and what type of people they are. They're not wanting to contribute to the American dream and be a part of the American ideal. They're coming over here to get a freebie. Joe Biden, Alejandro Mayorkas, they're Santa Claus And Mayorkas is Biden's elf. Very little more than that. So once again, the Biden administration is up against that thing they despise, immigration laws. You don't like the laws? I get it. You don't like any law? I get it. There are laws on the books in my city that I live in, my state, in my government in Washington. There are laws there that I disagree with. But that doesn't give me a free pass to ignore them or to break them. What it does, it puts me on the hook to contact Congressman Mike Johnson from the 4th Congressional District in Louisiana to call him, to write him, leave him a voicemail. I have him on this show. If you're a regular, you hear him at least twice a month. And we talk about even the negative things. I've put him on point. If I've got a problem with the law and I feel it needs to change, He's the first person I'm going to go to and tell him my opinion. You know why? I'm one of we the people, as are you. We're supposed to be represented by novel novel label. Representatives in the House of Representatives. Mike Johnson is one of those. You have one, too, in your district. In your state, you also have two U.S. senators. Do the same thing with them. Let them know how you feel. So here's how Joe Biden handles immigration stuff. He hates the laws that are there, even though he was part of Congress when they were passed. He voted for them. On Friday, Biden folks asked the federal judge to resume that fast-track release of illegal immigrants in a court filing. Now, what does that mean, fast-track release? That's where illegals come in, they log in, They don't even have to appear before a judge. Typically what's supposed to happen when the immigration process is working well, they go register, they go to the closest Border Patrol office, they register, they identify themselves, fill out some forms, and then they get a court date to appear before an immigration judge. That's doing it the right way, although they should have done it the real legal way, which was in the nation from which they came, go to a U.S. consulate or embassy and apply for asylum there. 
But of course, that's not the Biden Mayorkas way. So Biden said, we want, we want to, we want to just bypass that. We're just going to start releasing them into the American people. Just let them go. In a ruling in Florida versus United States, Judge T. Kent Wetherill, an appointee of former President Trump, issued a temporary restraining order Thursday night against the Biden administration's brand new parole policy. That's the one that would have replaced Title 42 and allowed for the immediate expulsion of illegal border crossers to Mexico during the COVID-19 pandemic. The policy is titled Policy on Parole with Conditions in Limited Circumstances prior to the issuance of a charging document. And it would release illegal immigrants without even having a court date. So they're illegal. The only way they get legal is to go before a judge. And what Biden and Mayorka set up and did, they said, we want to just release them. Let them sign up when they come in. Tell us where they're going to go, and then we just release them. No court date. What does that mean? They'll never be heard from or seen again by the feds. They'll live among us. They'll take jobs from legal immigrants and other Americans. Instead of doing that the right date, here's what the immigrants would do. They'd schedule an appointment to appear at a ICE facility, U.S. Immigration and Customs Enforcement ICE facility online. And they have to do it within two months or they would get a notice to appear through the mail after being released. The judge also blocked another Customs and Border Protection parole known as Parole Plus Alternatives to Detention. And that was in a separate case, Florida versus United States in early March. The Parole Plus Alternative Detention Policy allows Customs and Border Patrol to release illegals into communities after national security and public safety evaluation. At least we know one or two things about them. Illegal immigrants who enrolled in that program are subject to supervision, and that's part of the Border Patrol Policy Memorandum. In a filing in U.S. District Court in the Northern District of Florida, the DOJ asked the judge to temporarily stop both orders and said they'll appeal two rulings by the court by May 15th at the U.S. 11th Circuit Court. Here's what it said, the filing. The Solicitor General has authorized an appeal of both orders, and the government has filed a notice to appeal in 21CV01066, and will file a notice to appeal, yada, 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 another number, and intends to move to consolidate the two appeals. Defendants advise the court that they intend to seek emergency relief from the 11th Circuit by Monday, May 15th at 2 p.m. with respect to their request to stay, which is to stop both orders if this court does not grant the requested stays. Ashley Moody, who's the Florida Attorney General, objected to the motion saying that the Biden administration is trying to continue their unlawful policy. Let us be clear about what he apparently, what has apparently happened since. The federal government has known for some time that it intended to end Title 42 and knew that that would induce a massive increase in the inflow of unlawfuls at the border. 
thus exacerbating a border crisis that its own policies created. Part of its master plan to address that latest escalation of its own border crisis was apparently to reimpose much the same unlawful policy that this court previously has held unlawful, all without seeking a stay of the policy, apparently counting on the fact that no one would catch wind of what it was up to. They got busted. What do you mean they got busted? Well, that court, that judge rendered a ruling or two. He denied the Biden administration's request to place a stay on a temporary restraining order that blocked the release of migrants with no court dates. Again, Judge Wetherill denied the Biden administration's request over the weekend calling the request for an emergency stay of a ruling blocking it from releasing migrants without a court date after the expiration of Title 42. He called it borderline frivolous. DHS's chicken little arguments, this is the judge, about the impact of it not being able to misuse parole under either policy as a processing tool for the surge of aliens arriving at the border are hard to square with the DHS secretary's recent comments that only a fraction of the people that we encounter would be paroled into the country and that the vast majority will be addressed in our border patrol facilities and our ICE detention facilities. The judge blocked the administration's parole with conditions policy, too. That was in response to a lawsuit from the state of Florida. That order came as migrants surged to the U.S. border as the Title 42 public health order, which allowed for the quick removal of migrants because of COVID-19 pandemic, had expired. Tens of millions of Americans have heard about this case in the last 48 hours and what Judge Weatherwell has done in both of them. And let me say this. I talk to a lot of people. Because of what we do, people get in contact with us and with me regularly, wanting opinions, giving us their thoughts. We get all kinds of comments. Let me just say this. Feel free to comment on any story that's published at truthnewsnet.org. It's easy to do. The front page of each story down at the bottom right side, there's a place for you to make your comments. And we respond to each and every one of them. I'm the one that responds. I have to approve them before you'll ever see them published. A lot of people, in fact, most people that send in their comments, they ask that they not be published. But nevertheless, what I'm hearing and seeing is people are afraid. Afraid of what looks like might be happening and what it looks like might be happening is the dissolution of our government. Literally, people are afraid that that's happening. They're afraid that what we're turning into is a third world nation. This is the kind of stuff that's happening under this president that happens every day. It's just normal operations in banana republics around the world. Countries where despots are in total control. Most people that had a sense of obligation to the nation and had a sense of love and respect to our nation would never consider doing this, would never consider 
what Joe Biden is doing, what Mayorkas is doing. Why? Because they take an oath of office to the Constitution, and that means they're going to protect the American people. How? By enforcing every federal law. Many of them, the laws I'm talking about, they don't like. But until the laws are changed by the authorities that have the sole power to do it, that would be the United States Congress, not any president. It is unconstitutional for Joe Biden to do any of the crap that he's done without going through Congress. The fact that this man would do it again and again means one thing and one thing only. He is not qualified to be the president of the United States. In the steel industry, we dedicate our careers to supporting this country, making products to build infrastructure and skylines, creating jobs, supporting families. And when domestic materials are used, the money stays in our communities. That's what really matters. These people, these places, that's worth supporting. Juice drinks, sodas, and sports drinks are loaded with added sugars and calories and have little or no nutritional value. Sugary drinks can destroy teeth, cause obesity, and lead to type 2 diabetes. Sugar Bites. Protect your kids. When playing football, you run up to 120 pitches. You work out 650 muscles. You withstand three times your body weight. You treble your adrenaline production. You raise your heartbeat to 180 times per minute. And in the end, you lose up to three liters of sweat for one goal. This game is not a game. Gatorade works with no artificial colors or sweeteners. Welcome to McDonald's. Can I take your order? Yeah, I'll have a pre-meeting pump-up, a Monday fixer, and a screaming boss recovery. So that's one peppermint mocha, one McCafe frappe, and one fruit smoothie? Yep. Name your drink. McDonald's has it. We're your destination for those special flavors that help you get through your day. Get any small McCafe smoothie, frappe, shake, or espresso drink for only $2. Even the delicious new peppermint mocha. For a limited time, price and participation may vary. recognize that song? I kind of like that. That's Steely Dan, believe it or not. Now you recognize that. Well, back to news, back to important things to talk about. I'm, I'm excited to tell you about this crowdfund for that ex-Marine Daniel Penny. It's now gone over $1 million after he was charged with second-degree manslaughter for choking a man, a homeless man, a homeless schizophrenic named Jordan Neely. A crowdfunding effort for this guy charged with that second-degree manslaughter has reached $1 bucks. 
The fund was set up by Daniel Penny's attorneys. Says it will be used to pay for 24-year-old Long Island natives' legal fees and for any future civil lawsuits that may arise, as well as expenses related to his defense. The fundraising platform being used is named Give, Send, Go, which until now was better known for being used by those charged with participating in the January 6th Capitol riot and the supporters of Kyle Rittenhouse. The page hit one million in the hours after Florida Governor Ron DeSantis tweeted a link to the page. On Friday, Penny, age 24, was freed pending trial just hours after turning himself in at a police precinct in New York and appearing in court to answer criminal charges. He did not enter a plea. Bill bondsman Ira Juddelson told Daily Mail Penny was very quiet and nervous and was respectful as he was arrested and was arraigned. Many of those who have donated big dollars to Penny's cause are anonymous, including the person who's made the biggest pledge of 10 grand. That person did leave a comment that read, thank you for protecting the citizens that day. The second highest giver who pledged $5,000 is also anonymous. That person wrote, do the right thing. Dan did. It's not that tough. Now, how did this guy end up getting charged? Let me quickly tell you what it's about. Alvin Bragg. Remember that name? Alvin Bragg. He's a district attorney in New York City in Manhattan. And he didn't charge Dan at first. He waited. He waited. Why would he wait? Of course, they say we've got to make sure, we've got to check the evidence All of the evidence was abundantly clear within two hours of the incident happening. It was videoed by numerous people. Bragg waited until he heard from his handler, or at least his handler's people. Who might that be? George Soros. Soros single-handedly put Bragg in office in that position. Remember George Soros is that European tycoon who despises the rule of law and has made it his number one goal at the end of his career across our nation to back in campaign dollars with the most liberal anti-law district attorneys, especially in our big cities. Alvin Bragg having to be one of those. So Daniel Perry, Daniel Penny, He's in a tough spot because of George Soros and Soros's politics. And Alvin Braggs, he's trying to get set to run for office again when it's time for him to renew or re-up. And he's doing everything he can do to please his boss. He wants another million-dollar deposit in his campaign at the cost of Daniel Penny. Penny's life will never be the same. It's sad enough, but he could literally end up, because you know he's going to be tried in criminal court in Manhattan. Manhattan is full of far-left liberals, many of who will agree with the policies of George Soros and Alvin Bragg. Got a couple of stories to talk about. We've got less than a half hour left in the show today. My time has just flown by. Donald Trump leads in the Iowa caucus field by double digits. 
The National Research Poll commissioned by the Center for American Greatness shows 44% of likely Iowa Republican caucus voters back Trump in a crowded field, making him the clear-cut frontrunner. Here are the quick numbers. Trump, 44%. DeSantis, 26 Nikki Haley, 6 Mike Pence, 4%. Ramaswamy, 3 Asa Hutchison, former Arkansas governor, 1%. Tim Scott, 1%. John Sununu, not even polling yet. DeSantis is Trump's nearest competitor, sitting 18 points behind him with 26% support. No other candidate secures any double digits. So there's other polling news out there. There's another one. Trump is up double digits against DeSantis in DeSantis' own state, Florida. This poll, taken between April 13th and 14th, found 59% of registered Republicans chose Trump as their nominee. Only 31% chose DeSantis. That gives Trump a 28-point advantage. Further, the poll found 87% of registered Republican voters in Florida at least somewhat support Trump in the 2024 primary despite his legal woes. A lot of people think that that trial, that that civil trial in which he was forced to pay, I forget how many millions of dollars to that woman that he allegedly sexually abused many, many years ago in a department store in New York. There was no real evidence. The only evidence were two of this woman's friends and their evidence they presented in testimony was this. She told us he did it. Back when it happened, she told us that he did it, and we believe her. Of course, that's good enough for Alvin Bragg, and he had a uh, he had a a jury there that he talked into believing it as well. One thing for sure, coming out of these two polls, one thing is for sure: the American people are had they've had it. They're tired of this pontification that happens every day. They're tired of having a president and everybody else in his administration not keeping us safe. They're tired of inflation. They're tired of what's happening in Ukraine. They're tired of the way that he governs Joe Biden. They're tired of the fact that there is no respect for the nation around the world that was really high just two and a half years ago. What changed? Donald Trump lost the election to Joe Biden. Joe Biden became president, and that screwed everything up. How much time do we have left, Dan? Let me look real quickly. We're down to 20 minutes. Oh, my gosh. Real quickly, a couple of things I want to tell you about. Pay TV subscribers, you probably never think about this. Places like DirecTV, Netflix, all of those kinds of TV outlets, pay TV subscribers has hit a 30-year low. Hit its lowest level since 1992. It's inevitable. When every time you turn on your TV, there's a guy in a dress being treated seriously or two fellows smooching. Not to mention the bottom falling out of storytelling, which is now filled with nothing but smug 
insufferable political rhetoric that breaks the storytelling spell on top of all the lectures and shaming that destroys the appeal of the central characters in every story. In just one quarter, 2.3 million subscribers cut their cable and satellite TV cords. Look at some of the numbers. With the quarter one decline, total pay TV penetration occupied USL, U.S. households, including for internet services like YouTube TV and Hulu, dropped to 58.5%, its lowest point since 1992. Ye, that, that was two years before DirecTV launched as a new rival to cable TV. There was no DirecTV out there. At the end of quarter one, U.S. pay TV services had 75 million customers, down nearly 7% on an annual basis. Those virtual MVPDs, which stands for multi-channel video programming distributors, lost more than a quarter million customers in the first quarter. That, too, among the worst quarters to date for the segment. Now... In all honesty, when you look at the reasons for it, yeah, there are a lot of people that are just disgusted and they don't want to watch it anymore. But a lot of people, because of Biden's policies, don't have the disposable income that they had when they took out these subscriptions. And they're canceling it because they can't afford it. Is there a bottom in sight for the pay TV industry? Moffat Nathanson has argued the pay TV floor somewhere between 50 and 60 million U.S. homes. But Moffat wrote in a late report, as things stand, we expect cord cutting to grow even worse and the long theorized floor to be breached. I don't believe in boycotts. I don't. If I don't like something, I'm just not going to watch it or participate in it. But I'm not one of those that... You know, I don't want to go pick up a placard and go stand out on the street corner and and protest against a movie that's coming out or is already out on Netflix or even one of the major networks. I don't do that. But I do get fed up. Almost all modern entertainment today sucks. So instead, what am I doing? I'm being very selective and I'm watching when I watch movies and I like to watch movies I'm being very selected, and I am. I'm getting them from the best place, the most economic place that I can find to get them. If you're involved in the pay TV industry, here's a tip. That that includes, by the way, streaming. Just like you have verticals for black, black cinema, action, and LGBT movies, offer a oh, I don't know, let's call it a no-gay-stuff vertical. Seriously, a no-gay-stuff category will save your customers a ton of time, protect them from those infuriating moments that come with feeling sucker-punched. Ultimately, this is going to make them more appreciative and therefore less likely to cancel. By the way, Just so you know, since 1992, America's added almost 80 million people to our population. And pay TV is still losing millions of subscribers. When it comes to entertainment, 
it certainly is all about content. Everybody knows that. And right now, pay TV, the old side-to-side, up-to-down industry, top to bottom, all of them. Content sucks. (laughs) And I don't know a better way. I don't know another way to say it, but just to come out and say it sucks. We know we've gone this whole show at least so far, and we haven't even talked about the latest, the very latest in Biden syndicate family stuff. There's more out there, and it keeps coming every day. Hannity. Hannity had John Solomon and Miranda Devine on, and they talked about it. The latest details. Welcome back to Hannity. All right, Laura Obama. In the steel industry, we dedicate our careers to supporting this country, making products to build infrastructure and skylines, creating jobs, supporting families. And when domestic materials are used, the money stays in our communities. That's what really... ...confirmed it was all a political stunt. Take a look at this. He said for a four-hour interview, Jesse, and he... Here, I'm, I, I apologize for that. We hit a switch and hit it accidentally, and you got two different things happening at one time. It's important. I want you to hear Hannity and this report from the beginning. Let's start over. I'm sorry. Welcome back to Hannity. All right, former Obama CIA director and deep state actor John Brennan, he testified on the Hill yesterday in a closed-door hearing about the infamous letter falsely claiming that Hunter Biden's laptop was Russian disinformation. And according to the House Judiciary Committee Chairman Jim Jordan, his testimony confirmed it was all a political stunt. Take a look at this. He said for a four-hour interview, Jesse, and he further confirmed that this thing was all political. We expect public servants not to use their title to influence an election. And it was so political. When it was all done, this talking point they wanted to give Joe Biden for that final debate with President Trump, it was so political. Now, his testimony comes on the heels of a disturbing report this week that active uh, CIA employees may have been working to find more officials, former officials, to sign on to the phony letter. Here with react, uh, Reaction, JustTheNews.com editor-in-chief John Solomon and Fox News contributor Miranda Devine. John, let's start with you. Um, well, I guess this is the, the talking point they wanted to give Biden in that debate that was upcoming against yeah. Donald Trump. Uh, John Brennan, we know he responded he would sign on to this letter in 19 minutes when I believe it was Morell that wrote him. Yeah, listen, and he, and Morell told him what his goal was. He wanted to give the debate or the president a talking point, Joe Biden a talking point to try to blunt what Donald Trump was going to say about the Hunter Biden laptop. It was all political. And we now know from the email exchanges, forget the testimony for a second, which is just as important. We know from the email exchanges, this was a political operation. It was designed to impact the last job interview Americans got with their two presidential candidates and keep the Hunter Biden laptop from being considered by the American voter before the election. You know, and Miranda, it was your paper, the New York Post, that broke the Hunter Biden laptop story. You wrote the book, The Laptop from Hell. What's interesting, the level of involvement. Now we have the CIA involved in this. We have former intel officials involved in this. Uh, But we also know that the FBI was out there uh, meeting weekly 
with big tech companies telling them they may be victims of a misinformation campaign that may be about Joe and Hunter Biden. Uh, but they had that laptop in December of 2019. And John Solomon told me this week that they had authenticated it in the spring of 2020. So they knew what they were doing. It seems like the FBI and the CIA were putting cinder blocks on the scales of a presidential election, doesn't it? Absolutely. They conspired with the Biden campaign to deceive the American voter. Um, and that, as Mike Pompeo said about the involvement of now we find out at least one CIA employee in soliciting signatures to sign that dishonest letter alleging that the laptop information was Russian disinformation. Uh, it, Mike Pompeo said that is dangerous for democracy. You, you see now we've got the CIA engaged in a political operation to rig the election. We also knew that the FBI was doing that because they pre-bunked our story. They knew it was coming because they were spying on Rudy Giuliani. So they went to big tech and in these weekly meetings, they pre-bunked our story. They said, expect a story about Hunter Biden to come in October. It's hacked information from the Russians. And, you know, I don't have any faith in John Brennan or James Clapper, who is also going to go and speak uh, in these closed-door sessions uh, with House Republicans, because they are trained liars. And we know that both John Brennan, the former CIA director, and James Clapper uh, have already lied before Congress, and there was never any sanctions for them. Uh, Mike Pompeo is right. This is really dangerous to have this kind of political activity going on inside the CIA and the FBI. And if there was one CIA employee, you know that there were others. Well, you got to ask, John, this is two presidential elections in a row where the deep state is. is involved, two with John Brennan. Uh, and then, of course, I don't know if Clapper's involved in this. I would not be surprised. Uh, but if he goes I in... If he, were, if he says, put my name on this after 19 minutes with no investigative work at all, no knowledge at all as to the veracity and authenticity of the laptop, uh, that is, is that not an in-kind donation to President Biden or then-candidate Biden? Well, that is the question that the Federal Election Commission currently is investigating. Just a few weeks ago, they told parties in the case that they have an open matter under review. That's a fancy word for the FEC saying it's under investigation, that this may count as a, uh, a political contribution uh, and it wasn't recorded or disclosed to the American public. So that investigation is ongoing. By the way, that, that opened just a couple of weeks before Jim Jordan and the House Intelligence Committee and others made these bombshell revelations. These revelations will inform that in a bigger way. I, I will make one other argument. It's actually three straight elections that the intelligence community uh, involved, got involved. In 2012, Mike Morrell, the same guy that in 2020 organized a letter in 2016, was the first intelligence official to come out and say Donald Trump might be a Russian asset. In 2012, as Barack Obama was trying to survive the Benghazi scandal and get reelected, he edited the talking points by his own testimony to take out the idea that it was a terror attack, which the CIA had confirmed, and instead leave the impression that maybe it was an anti-Muslim video going across Europe that did it. So three consecutive elections, we had manipulation by our intelligence community. All right. So, Miranda, we have former intel officials, uh, but one of the people that was involved in leading this effort uh, is the secretary of state, and his name is Tony Blinken. Uh, he played a very big role in this. What should happen to him here?
Well, he perhaps to be impeached, at least to be shamed, he should not be in that job. Uh, when he was a, an advisor to Joe Biden in his campaign, he called Mike Morrell, and Mike Morrell has testified under oath that, that Lincoln's uh, call to discuss the New York Post, our story about the laptop, was the impetus, was what triggered him to go and get that letter written. And uh, he also, Anthony Blinken, uh, sent to Mike Morell uh, a few hours after that phone call an article from USA Today uh, alleging that the FBI was investigating whether it was Russian disinformation. All of this was a lie. And in fact, John Ratcliffe, uh, then the DNI, he came out with a statement saying there is absolutely no evidence that this is anything to do with Russia, that this is a Russian plant or Russian disinformation. And that was in response to Adam Schiff and others of the 51 fanning out across the media to say that this looks like a Kremlin plot. That was our story. Wow. And that gave the fig leaf for the rest of the media to ignore our story. And it gave the fig leaf for big tech to bury it and censor it. John, thank you. Miranda, thank you. Isn't it amazing that most Americans, well, maybe not most, many Americans, even if we get all of the facts in that we all believe or most of us believe are out there, that yes, there is corruption among the Biden family members, and yes, Hunter Biden and that laptop, everything on it is real. Even if that happens, even if the Biden family syndicate has taken more than the $10 million, then we've already got evidence that they took, if all of that comes out, I know a lot of people, I happen to be raising my hand right now as being one of them. When you have Joe Biden in office and the Department of Justice full of people that he appointed and hired, that's the only place that can prosecute the wrongdoers in the Biden family syndicate, including the president. Now, the president would have to be prosecuted by the U.S. Congress. It would start in the House. They would take up conversations and be debating whether or not we should come up with articles of impeachment. If they do and they are agreed to, it then goes across the hall to the Senate where they take it up and they make a determination of either to try a sitting president, Joe Biden, or to not do so. You throw in all those maybes and knowing that most of the players in that whole process I just mentioned to you are Democrats, I have no confidence that even if they do get the unfettered absolute proof that Joe Biden, Hunter Biden, James Biden, other Biden family members did illegally, take money from anybody, especially Chinese communists, which we know they did. I could see a scenario where they won't be held accountable. Now, if that should be the case, let me tell you what it would evidence. Remember at the top of the show, for those of you that were here, I talked about what might happen, and if it did, what would be the ultimate result? And that was basically the destruction of the United States of America because of its structure built on constitutional law 
and being a representative republic where the government doesn't have the power to do anything and everything it wants to. The people of the United States are the bosses and we're the sole authorities at determining how we're governed and who's going to do that. If that should happen, if there should be no accountability for any of the wrongdoers, it's no different than somebody that commits a first-degree murder and everybody knows that person did it and they're not held accountable for doing it. And I'm not likening what's happened and I know that it's happened. I'm not likening that to first-degree murder. But what it is doing, it's showing that our representative republic is no longer a representative republic. That's a wrap on Tuesday. Thank you as always for being here and being a part of what we're doing. I really appreciate it. We'll be back tomorrow. Steve Baker will be joining us from Washington, D.C., I think, but he'll be here. We'll see you then. Another summer day has come and gone away From Paris to Rome, but I want to go home Maybe surrounded by a million people I still feel all alone Just wanna go home Oh, I miss you, you know And I've been keeping all the letters That I wrote to you Each one in line or two I'm fine, baby, how are you? I would send them, but I know that it's just not enough My words were cold and flat And you deserve more than that Another airplane, another sunny place I'm lucky, I know, but I want to go home I got to go home Let me go home I'm just too far from where you are I want to come home Someone else's life It's like I just stepped outside When everything was going right And I know just why You could not come along with me This was not your dream But you always believed in me Another winter day has come and gone away In either Paris or Rome And I wanna go home Let me go home And I'm surrounded by a million people I still feel alone And let me go home Oh, I miss you, you know Let me go
home Let me go home It'll all be alright I'll be home tonight I'm coming back home